in fact, Jesus critiques it when people start to turn it into a proselytizing religion. When he says to the Pharisees, you go across the sea to make a single convert in order to make them twice the sons of hell as you. Hello and welcome to Evander Bros, your weekly podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I'm your co-host, George Benson. I'm your other co-host, Don Sheever. And uh, this week we're going to talk, I mean, something that you pointed out in the last episode that we recorded was it seems like a lot of topics that we discuss, whether it's either a specific Bible verse or uh, just in general, there are a lot of repeating themes. Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that makes sense because primarily we're focused on the text and there are a lot of repeating themes throughout the text. Uh, and it, this week's going to be no no different um, because we're going to talk about uh, the last couple of verses in Matthew, Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20, the Great Commission. Oh, I've not heard of this. Uh, well, which is why I'm very excited to teach it to you. <laughs> Oh, excellent. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe maybe just read it to me and maybe maybe something'll come back. Yeah. Okay. So, um here we go. Matthew 28:16 through 20. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Poor when they Jesus. saw him, I know. This is so, for, <laughs> for now this is after Judas killed himself and after the resurrection. So, um when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Who's surely? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> not Jesus. So that's the 12th. That's the new 12th one, right? Oh yeah. The, yeah. Because it's before acts. Um, so I have heard this in just about any church that I've worked in uh, as the foundation for missions. Yeah. Um, and, and as well as evangelism. I so, hope you didn't hear that at the church that you and I worked at together. No, 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 no. Well, <laughs> not from anybody on staff. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so, um, and like this, this passage is another one of those that is in my experience used because we really don't know what it means or what to do with it. Right. Which is, which is the conundrum we're in for a lot of scripture. And so we just make shit up. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious what your history with this passage is, how it's changed over time and, um, mm. you know, just your history with it where you're at now. Well, I think that, you know, I probably grew up with it very similarly to the way that you hear it in you know, the class that you're taking currently, as well as in many churches, which is that there is a conflation of discipleship and evangelism, that to evangelize is to disciple, which is a very strange conflation, in my opinion, if we spend more than two minutes uh, studying what ancient Jewish concepts of 
uh, proselytizing versus discipleship. They're they're night and day apart from each other in in the process, in the way that they uh, take hold, and and all those things. So anyhow, but I grew up probably very similarly with that just being about you know witnessing to people. Uh, whether that be on a mission trip, whether that be on uh, a local level, whether that be with your best friend, neighbor, whatever it might be. I think where it's really significantly changed for me is beginning to understand that difference between the idea of discipleship and proselytizing. And I really want to use the word proselytizing when I talk about this because I think that's what most people mean when they say evangelize. And I would even want to debate whether or not the word uh, uh, euangelion uh, in the text means evangelize in the way that we've manipulated. But regardless, um, proselytizing versus discipleship is so different. And I think a lot of where that changed for me was, you know, about 15 years ago. And I mean, it was changing prior to that, but but about 15 years ago, uh, having the opportunity to study and go to Turkey with uh, Ray Vanderlaan and just seeing more and more what this discipleship concept would have been like and would have felt like, would have how it would have been uh, understood by the apostles, all of a sudden made me absolutely convinced that the way we handled the Great Commission uh, and conflate it with evangelism. It has taken a strange turn and a strange convenient turn, I would say. Okay. So what is um, the convenience that you're talking about? Well, proselytizing is just in some way making an argument or a pitch, if you will, to convince someone that they should change their either their perception of faith in God and religion to one that is more in line with Christendom or whatever religion they change to, or from no faith or religion to something where they become compelled or convinced that there is indeed a God uh, of some sort. And so that's proselytizing. Proselytizing is just getting one person from one team onto your team. Uh, it's like picking teams on kickball almost uh, with a little bit more of uh, apologetics maybe. Yeah. Okay. So I, um, yeah, when, when we first met, one of the books that you highly recommended was Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. Mm, yeah, Lois Tverberg. I still highly recommend that. I and there will be a link in the show notes for that. Um, so because of how they handle and discuss what um, discipleship looked like in Second Temple Judaism and how it would have been, or and, an idea of um, how that would have been acted out in a way that we don't really talk about in evangelism. Often we refer to Jesus as somebody who was untrained, um, and I right. was never taught and which is just so backwards to how things would have went. Yeah. And let's, let's just take a second on that. Right. So we don't hear anything in the text from Jesus from age 12 to age 30. My argument would be that would be the time in which Jesus would have been being trained, uh, significantly trained to become 
a rabbi or a teacher. Age 12 is around the time of a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. And it's a bit anachronistic to place that back in the New Testament time. But I would argue there had to have been something very similar going on at that time. So whether they called it a formal process or not, it's the moment that a child starts becoming responsible for their own uh, sins. Yeah. Uh, and the parents are no longer responsible for the sins or the actions of the child. And this is where we find Jesus in the temple saying he's going to do the work of his father, which seems to be a proclamation that Jesus is going to go into a ministry of some sort, right? Uh, because at age 12, you determined whether or not you were going to become a rabbi and continue your education or a teacher or a scholar of the text, you know, whether it's a, you know, a lawyer, I'm trying to think of different ways it's described in the text uh, in most New Testament, scribes, lawyers, um, etc. cetera. Uh, or you were going to go and do your father's work, which would have been Jesus would have gone and I'm breaking news here, been a mason, what? not a carpenter. Uh, what? There wasn't many trees. There aren't many trees in Jesus's area. So you're telling me you can't build a house out of driftwood. Um, I'm probably not, uh, or cactus. Um, actually I don't know if there's even, there's not even cactus. I never saw cactus either, but, uh, like there's not forests. So most likely Jesus was a Mason. Joseph was a Mason. Um, so anyhow, uh, so Jesus at 12 is making this proclamation. So from 12 to 30, because according to the Talmud, uh, a person is not allowed to teach until they're 30 years old. Um, which, man, would that have saved a whole bunch of people a whole lot of agony, right? Oh, man. Um, if they didn't have to sit and listen to people younger than 30 teach. Uh, because, well, I'm sure that will be debated by some of our listeners. But, uh, but the Talmud says that until you're 30, you're not allowed to teach. And lo and behold... Jesus is 30 when he shows up on the scene and begins teaching. Uh, so uh, God incarnate followed that rule of not teaching till he was 30. Yeah. We would thin uh, the herd of Evangel bros if we, if we held to that still. Yeah. Oh, that's another, that's another podcast in general. Um, yeah. So, um, so that's 18 years of probably studying with rabbis. Yeah. And, you know, this is another, probably another episode that we could do on it, but most likely in the tradition of a Pharisee. And we've talked about oh, that before. I would say, actually, we don't even need to do another podcast on that. I would say there is little evidence to dissuade anyone from thinking that he wasn't a Pharisee. Um, he quotes the entirety of scripture. He believes in a resurrection. Yep. He believes in the authority of Torah still in the lives of the people. Um, all of those things amongst several other would absolutely qualify him as a Pharisee. Um, the idea that we make Pharisee, we other the Pharisees, right? Mm -hmm. We other them is an atrocity. And, uh, you know, it's kind of embarrassing because we're showing our anti-Judaism when we do that. Yeah. Um, okay. So getting back to this, the great commission and how, you know, Jesus is to go out to all nations and uh, make disciples. 
the process would have been long. We see that, you know, Paul takes 14 years after he converts and <laughs> sits and, and, and relearns everything. If it takes God in the flesh, if you, if you hold that view of Jesus, 18 years, right? Who are we to think that in three years we can be done with seminary and be good to go? Yeah. Or, you know, a, a new conversion and you take your basic Christianity six week course. You're ready. Yeah. And then, so, so, um, one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about this specifically was, you know, as I've matured or grown with my faith, one of the things that I constantly throw into question are missions trips or just the idea of missions in general. Yeah. Mainly because, and you know, once, once your thoughts on the afterlife start to change from what the traditional evangelical views are, you kind of really don't know what to do with the rest of that. I refer everybody back to our evangelism episode that we recorded last year, um, which might be fun to do an updated one of, but you know, the idea of missions being at least traditionally with the churches I've been a part of, you go to a often third world country that um, we're introducing nice colonial <laughs> ideals <laughs> into of, of faith and, you know, like we're rebuilding stuff and we're uh, spreading what we view to be the gospel to save people from hell all because of the great commission. But that's not really what the text says about it. It says to make disciples, which is a long process. And so I guess um, my question to you is with this text being in mind, if Don Cheever had the opportunity to set up a missions program right now, based off of this, what would that look like? What, what are your thoughts on that? Wow. So that's a, it's a huge question, George. Um, I guess if I had all the resources, all the time, all the energy. Uh, yeah, this is, I'm talking like behind this guy. What would it look like for, for you to start this with time, money and everything else not being yeah. an issue? I think the first thing I'd want to do would be to bring uh, I apologize for my dog. We're, we're babysitting or dog sitting uh, a friend of ours dog. Uh, and so the two of them are kind of barking after each other, which is kind of fun. So yeah, forgive okay. our background music. Uh, but I think the first thing I'd want to do would be actually bring people from wherever we were going to serve and invite them to come to us first. I think I would want them to come and see who we are as people and as a church and as a faith community, whether that be people from a local church there that we want to connect with or people from the, just the community that we wanted to connect with. I think the first thing I would want to do would be to extend hospitality to them. Okay. Um, so with them coming to visit, why, why having them come here first? Well, I think one, I think it'll humanize them in a different way that isn't pity. Right. I think that, you know, someone coming to us 
seeing our church, our faith community, getting a chance to sit and have meals with us and different people in our church, especially people that aren't going to get to go on the missions trip. Uh, it's going to humanize them. It's going to be a little less spiritual masturbation. Uh, it's going to be more significant. Uh, so I think I'd want to invite them into our space first and see how well we mesh. Uh, if the way we live uh, to almost even create a space where it could be honestly critiqued by them to see what it is that they feel pity about us for. Uh, and to just, I don't know. I think that there's something about that. If I have the chutzpah to go into a town or a community in another part of the world and think that without having ever met these folks, I have something unique to offer them that they've been missing out on is a bit uh, arrogant. arrogant. Yeah. Arrogant. Um, so I think, I think having them come to us first would be just such a powerful thing. Um, and you know, you totally caught me off guard with that question because I've never thought about it. Right. But I think that's what I would do first. I think that would be the first thing I'd want to do. Then I'd want to actually spend some time with the folks that spent time with us creating something that would be beneficial uh, from that community's perspective as opposed to what we think a community needs. And I'd want to have their voice heard. So part of them being present with us would also be helping us to understand the culture that we're going into, learn the traditions that exist there, list the ways that we can honor them and ways that we could accidentally offend them and ask them to come and teach us how to be a good neighbor to them. Uh, I think that would be something really beautiful that when we show up, first of all, maybe we know a handful of words in their language taught to us by people in their community. That when we fly in or we whatever into their space, that we're not just showing up, but the people there that... Uh, that we had with us here in the States or wherever you're listening to this from, that we would, they'd be able to introduce us honestly and say, we trust these people, right? We've known them for a few weeks. We got to see them. We spent time in their homes. We've seen them with their families and they actually have good intentions for us. Um, I think that that would be significant. I think that particularly short-term missions trips, and I'm assuming that's what we're talking about here, short-term missions trips. Yeah, pretty. Yeah. So not people who are spending their lives living in an, another place. Yeah. So like if, I guess if dust were starting up short-term missions trips somewhere, there was, yeah. you know, there's always a long lasting relationship with short-term stuff, but yeah, I think the other thing I'd want to do ultimately that a goal would be is that they would continually bring people that, or we would invite people back into our space constantly um, and that we would be humble enough to take their advice of things that we're not doing well at church or in community. Like what are the things that they look at when they come to Toledo, Ohio and they meet the people from my faith community and they go, wow, that's, that's a shame. Like we have meals together all the time and you guys hardly ever seem to eat together. Or we raise each other's kids. 
uh, and you hardly even remember the kids' names of the other people. So I think I would love for this to be as reciprocal of a nature as what we could we could do it. Um, this isn't us being the saviors, but us bringing a, a unique set of resources that maybe they lack access to, that we bring those into their space. Um, and then we invite them to bring some of their unique resources into our space. And it becomes this collaborative thing of improving both communities. Now for us going there, it might be more monetary or labor right, where we are going in and helping them build a school or provide them with things in, uh, in a manner that they just don't have access to. That's great. But there's so much emotional poverty in, in our world, and I would argue in affluence. And that emotional poverty uh, needs to be spoken into. And I think a lot of these small places that we tend to go on missions trips could really help elevate us out of the poverty of, of emotional and relational situations. So do you think um, that emotional poverty that you've, that you're just talking about, which I've never heard that before, but I just made that up. It, I mean, so do you think that's what part of the high is coming back from there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So when people come back from short term missions trips, it, they're on an emotional high. Absolutely. But the problem is, it's like if you meet someone on the side of the street who is panhandling and you give them a $100 bill, uh, that probably will send them home elated, right? But it's not sustainable. And, uh, and I think the church has done that to people is we just find one thing that pulls people out of emotional poverty here and there. And we, we find out that it's not sustainable because we're not healthy as a church. We're just not healthy. And so emotional uh, survival is not something that we we're good at. So uh, I think people go on these short-term mission trips, get, get a little bit of emotional uh, excess, come back and they're pumped. But here's the biggest problem with that. That then becomes the pitch to convince the next generation of missions goers. I mean, if you listen to the way people talk when they come back from missions trips, it's all about themselves. Like, it's all about, oh, I feel so good. It was wonderful. It was a positive. It changed my life. You know, it changed my person. Like, and I'm not saying that those things are bad. But I'm saying it's a strange phenomenon that if you go to care for and serve other people, that what you come back with is just things that are borderline. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this borderline narcissistic. Um, and I'm not saying that caring for other people shouldn't feel good. It should. But if that becomes the sales pitch, as opposed to we were genuinely able to care for this community in a manner that they were unable to do on their own. And we provided resources for them. And we are going to continue to build a friendship and relationship with this community. Not this once and done drive by missions trips, right? Where we just pow, pow, pow as we drive by them. 
uh, with a couple Bibles and a pair of jeans or something, right? Um, and this is, yeah, go ahead. I, I'm just rambling now. No, I, but I think you just touched on something that I haven't, like this is part of what I've been wrestling with, with just the, the concept of missions as a whole. And, you know, not even international, but like going to volunteer when I still lived in Toledo and did food for thought. I, I had an issue with doing it because I didn't know how to handle that, that narcissism. Mm. Yeah. Because it's not something that's brought up and I don't, you know, it, it, like you said, it's not bad to feel good about helping where the help is at. Correct. The language round of why you should come and do this can be an issue for some churches. Right. So food for thought addresses food insecurity in Toledo as yeah. well as the gap that exists between people's re relationships between those in affluence and those in poverty. So yeah, absolutely. When we make it about, Oh, it feels so good to go and, you know, watch someone eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's weird. Right. Yeah. Um, but we're not, we're not given tools to get beyond that space to yeah. say that what's beautiful about this is having a meal together, right? Uh, I think it's so interesting. I think the people that were impacted by what we did in this, this organization, uh, the, the big gap, the thing that made someone invest further was whether or not they sat down and also had lunch with people or whether they just handed it out. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, because I mean, or even maybe not just sitting and having lunch with somebody who was there, but actually engaging and finding out who this person was like, I had friends, uh, absolutely. That I started looking forward to seeing and, you know, the language started to change, you know, whereas the pitch might be come show up, hand out, uh, lunches to people who need help or who, um, yeah change to, Oh, I've, I'm going to go hang out with some friends. Yes. Do you want to come join me? Yep. So I feel like, okay, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So with, with the great commission being the, 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 you know, broad stroke speech, uh, this is why we go out and do missions because Jesus told us to make disciples of all nations. Right. What does, how has that part changed? What does Pastor Don Cheever think about that? Because well, I, I think, yeah. well, just because I struggle because I, I just, I don't know, I don't know what to do with it. I'm, you know, I'm in this class right now where it's about personal evangelism and I'm sure we'll do an episode on that, but it's also about discipleship and discipleship. I get the personal evangelism stuff. I still don't, you know, I, I don't know what to do with. And so, but because all of that is wrapped up in this, in this mess. Right. Yeah. So one Judaism has never been a proselytizing religion. Uh, in fact, Jesus critiques it when people start to turn it into a proselytizing religion when he says to the Pharisees, you go across the sea to make a single convert in order to make them twice the sons of hell as you. 
this is, as far as I recall in my studies of the text, this is the only time Jesus talks about evangelism as we refer to evangelism, conversion. Yeah. And so I think where this becomes strange to me is that the, the discipleship or the Great Commission, go and make disciples of every nation, one, that's, that's what every, and again, blanket statements, a bit anachronistic possibly or most likely, every teacher rabbi at the time, when their disciples would graduate, they would say to their disciples, now it's your turn to go and make disciples. You've graduated. Congratulations. It is now the moment in which you go out and you start discipling. This would have been a very familiar saying. This is not anything unusual that Jesus is saying. This is the graduation ceremony of the apostles in Matthew 28. Uh, what may have been unique, and again, I don't know for certain it was, was that Jesus says, discipling all nations, right? Not just this idea of discipling within Israel. And so Jesus imagines that the next step that's going to take place in the Jewish faith now that the Messiah, as Jesus was understood to be, uh, has become present, the whole world would start to come and sit at the feet of God, as we read in Isaiah. Right? So Isaiah talks about the whole world will be filled with God's glory and all the nations will come and all the nations will sit at the feet of God. That's language of discipleship. So when it talks about Mary and Martha, and they're debating and Martha's like, I'm in here doing all the work and Mary's just sitting out there. And Jesus is like, Mary chose better. She chose to sit at my feet, right? So it's a discipleship language. And so in this picture, Jesus is saying that you will go out and create relationships that are deep enough and are meaningful enough that people will commit themselves to years of studying under you in order to understand who God is and how that impacts and uh, affects the world that we live in. So when I think about the Great Commission, the Great Commission is part of what compels me to disciple people, is that I looked around and said, nobody is discipling anyone. I don't have access to a discipler is what I felt. I looked around and there was just nothing going on other than some education courses about basic understandings of Christianity, but there was nobody actually doing a discipleship process of teaching people how to study, teaching people how to change the way they think about themselves, the way they think about others, and then the way they enact those thoughts into actions and behaviors and life change. I looked around, there was just nobody doing it. I think it was accidentally happening. It accidentally happened to me by ways that I studied and read and the people I've read and the people I listened to and tried to walk as close to as possible to just glean what I could from them. But there was no intentionality around me. And I'd still argue today, most people have never experienced intentional discipleship where they have access to someone that they look up to spiritually that they look up to theologically, that they look up to uh, biblically, and have that person pour into them intentionally for a consistent, intentional, long period of time that helps them reshape and imagine the way they are supposed to live. To turn this into getting someone to say a prayer has got to be one of the most offensive things we've done as Christianity. 
we have created a whole bunch of people who are twice the sons of hell as them because we are converting people to something that they don't actually understand what they're even actually converting to. Yeah. Ab- yes, absolutely. So, you know, the, the follow-up mentorship that you, that traditionally happens or ought to happen in most evangelical churches. And that's when, you know, you get the option to do the new Christian six week course, what you need to know. And it's all prepping the individual who just converted to be able to go out and then convert more people. And then down the line, you have the option to do the Wednesday night discipleship class and you get that sweet certificate at the end of it. I haven't got one of those yet. Well, there's a good reason. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So, so this is like this. So you just latched on to kind of what, I re- how I really don't know how to think or feel or respond to the idea of missions based off of this text. Mm. Because, you know, going into a foreign land and introducing people you don't know and that they don't know you, this new way of life is just spiritual colonialism. Oh, absolutely. And so like, the idea of going going there and trying to create this relationship and then introduce them to a new god and way and of a life. western understanding of that god yes it, yes thank you like it's it just for me now it's just like i because life is is hectic for everybody and there are things that we want to spend time thinking and researching, but we just don't have time. This is one of those big ones where it's just like, I don't know what to do with. So I'm putting it in a box in the corner and this week it's just been on my mind. And it's just like, are we, is it even good to do? Like I I, would say, well, no, just like, just to clarify, like I, you know, I lean into Christianity because I believe it's the, best way of life it introduces the best way of community and i think every the whole world would benefit if we were all part of it in a healthy way Mm -hmm. so like i get that i get wanting to tell people about it yep but i don't know i don't know what the right approach is anymore yeah so my thought is is a strange one shocker right i cannot believe that is i'm all for short-term missions trips. The reason I'm all for it is because people on the other, on the receiving end of it will say whatever they need to say to get those brand new computers and that new building. And I'm like, if that's the only freaking way that Christians will get off their rear end and actually provide access to things that are good and meaningful to people in other nations, by all means, do it. What you're actually saying to those people, meaningless, unhelpful. They don't care. They're just going to shake their head and say, yep, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, sure, okay, yeah, absolutely. And then you leave, and it's not going to look like that anymore. And I'm a fan of that. I hope that they play every single church. I hope they play them like a fiddle and they get absolutely every penny out of them that they can in order to improve their community. That being said, 
as far as spreading what Christianity is about, short-term missions trips is one of the worst things that we do. It bastardizes the scripture. It takes what we have learned in a six-week course on a Tuesday night and converts it into something that is... I mean, think about this, George. If you and I have... Let's imagine that I taught a six-week course on what it means to be a Christian. Give me 90 minutes a night. I, I kind of want to challenge you to come up with this. Right. So 90 minutes a night for six weeks. You've sat with me. So imagine after six of our conversations, okay, that you were then going to then go out and share what you believe about God. Where would that leave you? Um, well, having sat through something like that, uh, it would... I would be very good at telling people why they shouldn't believe the way they believe. Right. Yeah. So you would be able to deconstruct maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the problem, right? Is that for many of us, the first six weeks of even learning about who God is, is a deconstructive process. And to imagine that someone after just a short period of time could then, and the number of times I've heard missions trips being a great way to learn about faith and a missions trip being a great way for new Christians. Like they, I've never seen a missions trip turn someone away. If yeah. someone can come up with the three grand or $1,300 to go on the missions trip, it doesn't matter if they're a brand new Christian, they're a seasoned Christian, you're welcome to go. And I think that that's so interesting because do we really want that to be the example if we're truly going to share the and this is where I, I hope the audience sticks with us yeah me too like if if you're truly attempting to share all that jesus has taught right because that's what that passage says so go back to that matthew 28 passage right yes uh there let's okay uh Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely okay. I am with you always. Into the very end of the age. That part's so important. Obey everything that I have commanded you. What person do you know, George? that could teach people what it means to obey all the commands that Jesus gave throughout the gospels. I mean, aside from you and I, obviously, obviously <laughs> no one, I mean, nobody, we leave that part out of the gospel. We leave that part out of the great commission, teaching everything I have commanded you. Right? Like, if we want to, we stop after baptizing, right? That's where we stop. But that's not where discipleship stops. Discipleship stops. And by the way, that baptizing line, most biblical scholars believe that's a later addition because that language smacks of Trinitarian theology that didn't exist in the day of Jesus. And so if it, say that does come out, then the, read the Great Commission. Read that verse without baptizing. Uh, go for and make disciples of all nations, 
uh, and teach or and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That is what a discipler would say to a graduating class of disciples. There would not be a baptism statement in there. That baptism statement, I am personally convinced that that is a later addition in order to keep Trinitarian theology. And that has been very harmful in a way to also then make this a uh, about conversion because you baptize a proselyte baptism or a repentance baptism. And so we've conflated those things, which is a shame because we stop right there, right? We like, that's to me, like if you, so you wanted to go on a young, on a short-term missions trip, George. Okay. And imagine if one of the things that you had to be able to do was to articulate in a meaningful way, everything that Jesus commanded. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. That's one that, yes, that would, that would be the, the extent of it. And hopefully everything I would do would come out of a good place of that. Right. And unfortunately we would argue, well, that's good enough, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus is like, you need to be able to teach them everything I've commanded you. Jesus spent three years, 24 seven with these apostles right? He's specifically speaking to the disciples at this moment. He's not speaking to a crowd of people that haven't been with him all this time. Mm -hmm. That is so significant for us to understand. Jesus, God incarnate, 24-7, three years, came back from the dead to finish the job. And he says, teach them everything I commanded. What does John say about the teachings of Jesus? Oh, that they'd blow your mind because they're too great and not all of them are recorded. Right. If I, if I recorded everything that Jesus taught, it would not fit in all the rooms. Like we would need a huge library. Right. And Jesus is saying to them, go and teach everything I've commanded you. This is going to take 18 years. This is going to take a long time to teach people all the things that Jesus taught them. So how we conflate this with evangelism is beyond me, other than that's what we've been taught to do, right? Like, but yeah. the people that are teaching that, I don't know how they got there. Listeners, if you have any idea of how it ended up getting there or any book recommendations or anything like that, please let us know. Yes. Um, George, what would you imagine your professor would say and i realized like you know this is you projecting personality and stuff into this but what would you imagine your professor would say if you said so jesus says to teach everything that he's commanded them and john says that if we recorded everything that jesus taught it would fill up multiple rooms how is this consistent with the way we treat the great commission what do you imagine would be the answer to that. That we need to save people from hell. So we need to go out and evangelize. Like, well, well, because we will never be as good as Jesus was. We, we just need to try. Mm -hmm. And that's wrapped up in personal evangelism. Sure. I just think 
the world would be so significantly more beautiful if we all sat and had the opportunity to learn from someone that was intentional, committed to our lives, committed to our person, that taught us everything that they have learned about how who Jesus is and had and teaches us how to study the text and wrestle with these things. I, I just think the world would be transformed by Christendom, but any religion that did that. And I, I don't think Christianity is the only one that has begun taking shortcuts and turned the, our faith into bumper stickers. Um, but man, we have done a good job of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have no clue. I can't speak to other religions, but... Well, um, listeners, if you're still with us, <laughs> um, I, I know Don would, and I personally would love to know what your thoughts are on this subject, um, just because it's such a huge one. And I think that if you either grew up in the church or spent any time in the church, this is something that has probably come up time and again. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to know where you're at with all of this because, yeah. you know, we're still trying to figure a lot of this out together. And unfortunately when um, like most of the conversations I have right now, everything's still kind of murky. Yeah. Uh, because we're still, you know, as much as I don't like to identify with evangelicalism, I'm still very much a part of it because Absolutely. you know, it's uh, it's, it's worth critiquing and worth saving. Absolutely. And so, you know, as these new conversations develop, like it's just, it's great hearing where everybody else is at and kind of how you got there. Um, but I think this is a good place to wrap up. Can I, can I say something to our listeners? I'm, yeah. I, I just want to thank you. Um, so George, I was looking at our podcast and by the time this podcast airs by the time that uh, people listen to this. Our numbers from 2019 will have surpassed all of our numbers from 2018 in listens. Uh, so here we are, middle of May, and our, our listeners are amazing. And clearly, I'm grateful, George, I know you're grateful that you're sharing this podcast with your friends. Uh, inviting them to take a listen to that. Please continue to do that because it has been such a cool thing. And, you know, uh, if you go back and listen to one of our really old episodes, you'll find that, you know, I've been sick for a while and uh, it's actually been really encouraging to me uh, as uh, to see uh, the number of people that are listening, to see the numbers of people listening in other countries uh, and all around the U.S. Yeah, that's been amazing. I mean, we, I think we have over 75 different countries now that have listened to the podcast, uh, whether that's someone with a, uh, you know, a VPN who's hiding their location and it just looks like you're in, uh, Scandinavia. Uh, I don't know, but it's just been really cool and honoring. And I want you all to know, I'm so grateful and it tickles me, uh, this whole idea that there are just tons of people listening to our show. Um, so thank you. Uh, and 
You know, with all the people that listen to our show, we have just a handful of people that interact with us. Yeah. I would love to be overwhelmed with, uh, with interaction. So please, when we say message us, email us, text us, you know, I guess you can't text us. We're not giving out our cell phones, but no, no, know, we'll give out George's. Um, but no. please interact with us. We love that so much. Um, and we're just so grateful for you and just want to say thank you. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. So with that, um, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Evander Bros. Uh, shoot us an email, evangerbros at gmail.com. And if you have a moment, please stop by wherever you're listening to your podcast, whether that's iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever, and give us a rate and review. We'd appreciate it. Absolutely. Would. Well, I've been your co-host, George. I've been your other co-host, Don. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.